coming up on 9.30. That means the Bible study from St. Paul Lutheran Church in De Pere. Good morning. We welcome you all to Bible class. I'm Pastor David Smith, Senior Pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere. We welcome all of you and we welcome our listening audience on KFUO. Now this morning we're going to be studying the lessons, but they're not the lessons from the lectionary. We are having a sermon series here at St. Paul's, and next week the topic is sola scriptura, or scripture alone. Therefore we have chosen specific readings that talk about the scriptures. So, this morning, we're going to start with Psalm 119, verse 105 to 112. And it begins with a very familiar verse, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 is a very unique psalm has 176 verses, longest in the Bible, and it's broken in to 22 sections of eight verses each. But there's a basis and reason for that. That is, Psalm 119 is what we call an acrostic. And the first letter of the first word of each section is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So, there are 22 sections because there are 22 uh, uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so we are number section 14, Nun is the letter which would be equivalent to our letter N. And so this section of the psalm is the 14th section, and the first Hebrew word of the eight verses is begins with a nun. And that's the way the psalm is arranged. So we want to focus on the fact that this first verse is widely used, quoted, memorized, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is emphasizing the practical, personal, and everyday use of the word of God. Practical, personal, and everyday use of the word of God. You see, there are three ways the law is used. The first way the law is used is as a curb to prevent a world of six billion people from being completely out of control. Even if you're not a Christian, this law is the basis of humanity. Without it, things would be total chaos. 
The second use of the law is the use that shows us our sin towards God's goal of saving us. To condemn our sin, to show us that the only chance we have is to flee to the gospel. The third use of the law is for only Christians. And that use of the law is what's being talked about here. It's what happens after you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your attitude has totally changed and instead of saying, I have to do this, it's I get to do this. Okay, God, show me how to live as your child. That's the third use of the law. And that's what this verse tells us. The word, then, is a light, and the imagery is the fact that it will get us through a dark world, a dark world of sin and death. That word is the only thing shining that shows us the way through this world. And, of course, the whole imagery that Christ is the light of the world. But let's read a couple of the other verses here. Uh, the second verse. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I have made a vow that I'm going to be faithful to your word. To your word. Now, let's get this straight from the start. The word used here is not just law, it's gospel. It's in the broad sense, law and gospel. So the psalmist is saying, as your child, I'm going to seek to be faithful to your word and keep your righteous rules. But then he goes on and says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. What the psalmist is saying is, and this is true for us today, anybody that dedicates themselves to believing and living by the Word of God is going to have affliction and persecution in this world. It's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. So the psalmist is basically saying, your word is my guide through this world. I am going to try to live according to that word but I'm doing it and I'm taking a beating because I'm trying to keep your word. I'm different than everybody else. People make fun of me. 
people don't understand why I'm doing this. We are afflicted, so give me life, O Lord, according to your word. That's the gospel. As I seek to live your word, lift me up by the word of the gospel. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. The free will offerings of praise is the singing of the praises of God with your lips from the heart. That's what he's talking about. His offerings of praise. In the meantime, teach me your ways. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Uh, the, that phrase, I hold my life in my hand continually, means the threat of death. The threat of death. That in trying to keep these teachings of the word, he's under the threat of death. My life is fragile. Our lives are fragile. As we seek to keep the word of God, there is always the threat of death. It's happening more and more in our world, isn't it? Just flat dangerous to be a Christian in many parts of the world today. Lots of persecution. Don't think it's going to get any better. It's not. The reverence that this nation once had for the Christian faith is dwining fast. Dwining fast. There are already Christians in this country persecuted for their beliefs. It's happening more and more. And it will continue to happen. May even get worse. So we as Christians, it's not just fun and games on Sunday morning. It's a life. And sometimes that life is even dangerous in this world. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts, in spite of the fact that there's all this evil and all these threats, I'm going to keep your word. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever, to the end. So the psalmist is saying, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and I'm going to follow it even though it may mean affliction and persecution in my life, but I'm going to hold on steadfast to your word. And it's implying that the very thing that will give the psalmist the strength to do that is the word itself, the power of the gospel. That's what will give the strength 
so that I can stay faithful to the Lord, not to the world, to the Lord. Now, the reason we chose this passage is it teaches us the power of the word, which is there both to guide us, but is also there to empower us to be faithful to our Lord, who lived and died and rose again for us. So it shows us the power of the word, the practicality of the word, that it's not just something we hear on Sunday, it's to be used each and every day in our lives. So that's our first lesson. Any questions? Comments? Yeah. Yes, uh, he, he, he said that it's by the grace of God that we have this word. That is true. That's one of the things we're going to talk about this week. We would not know God if he didn't choose to reveal himself through the word. That was his decision, and that's a decision of grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it. His word is another gift of his grace revealing himself to us. All right, let's go on to the second lesson. We're going to spend some real time on the second lesson, even though it's very short. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's telling him, remember what you've been trained. Now, if we read earlier in Timothy, we see that Paul has commended Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, for training him in the faith. And of course, Paul picked up after that. And what was handed down to him was the Old Testament. You've got to realize that when 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy was written, some of the books of the New Testament had been written and were in some parts of the world, but not everywhere. This is very early, very early. The primary source was the Old Testament. Paul was an expert 
at taking the Old Testament and showing how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament to the people so that Jews came to faith in Christ based on the fact that he fulfilled the promises in the Old Testament. So that's what's being talked about here. From childhood, new studies, well, at that time it was thought that if you really wanted to take uh, a child and raise them in the faith, you had to start at five. Uh, many folks in the Lutheran Church believe that the appropriate time to teach the faith is the seventh and eighth grade. You know, and by the way, that rule was not dropped from heaven. New studies show that if you haven't built in your child a biblical worldview, by the time they're about three, you've got a problem. By the time they're in eighth grade, they're way past it. They're way past it. That's why we start Sunday school here with infants and little lambs, two-year-olds. That's where they truly start learning, from childhood. That's why we have an early childhood center, okay? Be surprised how many, how many people send their children there that aren't members of this church, and we have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. It's huge. It's huge. Okay, so from childhood. Now notice the sacred writings, and here's what we're told, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the purpose that God gave the Scriptures. He didn't give you the Scriptures to explain to you everything He does. He didn't explain to you the technical details of how he created the world. The scriptures don't tell us everything about God. The primary reason the scriptures were given were to, was to save us. Was to save us. Our doctrine tell us that the scriptures are clear. Well, that doesn't make much sense to us, except when we realize they are very clear on how God is going to save us. And then they're crystal clear. Crystal clear. This word is dynamic, it's not static. They are not just words on the page. They're not like reading a novel. These words are dynamic in the sense that when you come in contact with them, 
the Holy Spirit is working through that word to either create faith in you or strengthen the faith you already have. Therefore, it is a living dynamic word and not just a word on a page. Therefore, the word of God is that which can change hearts. That's its power. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Have you ever thought that every time God breathes, there's life? That's the way it's used. God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living being. Jesus came to the upper room and it says he breathed on his disciples. And he says, if you forgive anybody their sins, they're forgiven life. The valley of the dry bones, all the bones were dead until God breathed on them. And through the word of God, it is God breathed or inspired and it gives eternal life. Anytime God breathes, we get life. Okay? We get life. Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That's instruction. Profitable for reproof. That is a teaching against false doctrine. That's what's being emphasized, a teaching against false doctrine. For correction, that's for us. The word correction in Greek actually implies to set somebody back on their feet. And the implication here is the law of God knocks you out knocks you down, condemns you, works guilt in you. And the Word of God then sets you on your feet. And for training in righteousness. Okay. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want to spend some more time on this. Um... We teach that the scriptures were inspired by God and they, uh, the Holy Spirit, worked in the sacred writers, and we'll talk about that in a minute, so that we have the Word of God. What's very important is that we teach that the scriptures are the sole rule, source, and norm for the Christian faith and life. In other words, it's our only source. It's our only true source. All writings on the Scriptures after that should go back to the Scriptures. The Scriptures are it. That was a huge problem in the church in the Middle Ages. Because at that point, it had gotten to the degree that there were two sources of truth. And one was the Holy Scripture. 
and the other was the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church and the papal decrees of the Roman Catholic Church. So that both scripture and tradition were quoted as sources. Therefore, a papal decree had the same authority as the scriptures. That's one of the things in our sermon series and our celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation that we need to remember. Scripture alone, not other sources, not other writings, not what you think. Scripture. Scripture. Not your opinion about Scripture, but what Scripture says. We do not rationalize it away. We do not say, oh, that doesn't apply today. It is God's word for all ages, and it is all authority. Not everything that happened was recorded. John says that that not everything uh, in Jesus' life was written down. Look at, uh, those of you who got Bibles, look at John 20, 30 to 31. John 20, 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The point here is everything was not written down. What was written down? What God wants you to know to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, what was written is what's going to save you. We said at the beginning, that's the purpose of Scripture, to save you through faith in Christ Jesus. The things that were written down were of God's choosing. That's what's in the Word of God to make you wise unto salvation. Now, when we talk about this inspiration, we are not talking about inspiration as if it was just the major subject, just a, a subject, a topic. That's not specific enough. We're not just talking about the scriptures as divine guidance and protection from error. 
divine gift. What we're talking about is the divine giving of the very words. Not the subject, not just the, the broad strokes, the very words. The very words. All Scripture, not just parts. That also includes the impulse and command to write, which the Holy Spirit must have worked in the writers. The Holy Spirit uses the intellect, will, and distinct style of each writer. The Holy Spirit lets each writer's style come through. Have you ever noticed that if you line up something that was written about by two, three, four gospel writers and put them side by side, they're not exactly the same, but they teach exactly the same? Some have certain details, some don't. That's called inspired variety. Inspired variety. That's not my term, that's doctor, the sainted doctor, Charlemagne, that used to use that term, the inspired variety that the Holy Spirit was able to work through them so that they wrote the very words they wrote with their own style and variety and will and intellect. So it doesn't all sound the, the same. But it's not as if God said, sit in that chair and Listen, I'm going to dictate Scripture as if it was a mechanical thing. It was the Holy Spirit working through these men to write the Scriptures. We also talk about it as being inerrant, that is, without error. Okay. It's the absolute truth. It's not a guideline to pick and choose. It's the way God wants it. We cannot exalt reason above Scripture because our finite minds are not the mind of God. He's way beyond us. So we can't use a human mind which is inferior and think that because we think it's right logically that we're correct. We can't exalt reason over Scripture. The scriptures speak for themselves. 
we can seek to discern what it says. That's why pastors are uh, learn Greek and Hebrew so that we can get at what's being said and not make it up on our own. We can't just go through Scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply to us today. Scripture is absolute truth. And it's to make us wise unto salvation. So, uh, when we deal with Scripture, we are dealing with God's Word. Not man's word, God's word. And that's why we call it the sole rule, source, and norm of the faith and life. That's why we say we believe, teach, and confess what the scriptures say. This passage is the basis for the doctrine of scripture. I mean, it's, it's, it's basic. All right, any comments or questions about that one? Well, you guys asleep today? All right, well, we'll see what you know when we give the test. All right, third lesson, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, a tremendous lesson. This is Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's pretty dramatic. That's pretty dramatic. Jesus, when he was teaching, first always went to the synagogues. He came as a promise to be the savior of the Jewish nation. We see that pattern throughout the New Testament. Where did Paul go when he went to a town for the first time to teach? the synagogue, okay? The word goes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Jesus went to the synagogue. In those days when a guest was at the synagogue, a male, he was allowed to read the scriptures. 
the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll to the place where it was given, was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is reading this, and the me is him. When Isaiah was inspired to write, he was writing in the first person. Not he or she, but I. So as Jesus reads this, he is talking about himself, only this passage was written 700 years before. That's why we believe in verbal inspiration. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because he, the Father, has anointed me, the Son, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, Jesus, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is a description in very vivid terms of the forgiveness of sins. Of the forgiveness of sins. Sin was what made them poor. Sin is what made them captives. Sin is what made them blind. Sin is what made them oppressed and us too. That's the way we're born into this world. Poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. What he is describing here is what he's going to do about that situation. He's going to bring good news, the gospel, to the poor, to bring us liberty, sight, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, What's the year of the Lord's favor? Back in the Old Testament, every 50 years, they were to celebrate the Jubilee year. Now, in the Jubilee year, lots of fantastic things were supposed to happen. If you had sold your property, you got it back. If you had been sold into slavery, you were free. Everything was to go back as if sin hadn't happened. We have no record that those in Israel ever celebrated the year of Jubilee. They were to forgive all debts, all debts were off. 
I, I mean, it had been great. There's no record they ever did it. God commanded it, but there's no record they ever did it. It's called the year of Jubilee. That was, that is the year that Jesus is talking about. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, all debts, all sins are off. All sins are off. All sins are forgiven. The year of Jubilee. So he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the word today is a very powerful word. It's used several times in the Gospel of Luke. Today, the year of Jubilee begins. Today, you are at liberty. Today, your sins are forgiven. Today is the beginning of new life in me. Today is the beginning of eternal life in me. Today. And as he said that, the rest of the story is they tried to throw him off a cliff for saying that. Okay, they weren't real happy with that, that he was proclaiming that he was going to fulfill this word of God, that he was it. But he was. He was. Now, this passage teaches us several things about verbal inspiration. It teaches us that the scriptures are a unit, and that the Old Testament not only teaches God's saving acts, but points us to his ultimate saving act in Christ, and therefore the fulfillment of all Scripture is Christ. He is the fulfillment. I've told you this before, Luther said one time, I can find Jesus in any passage of the Bible if you give me enough time. Okay. Because he's the fulfillment of the scriptures. From Genesis 3.15, the scriptures are a story of how God saves us. From Genesis 3, where we sinned against him, and we lost the opportunity and privilege of eating from the tree of life to Revelation chapter 22, where the people of God are eating of the tree of life. And the story is how God got us back. It's the story of God saving us in Jesus Christ. So, the scriptures are Christocentric. That is, he is the center of the scriptures. 
This also affirms verbal inspiration because the Scriptures were fulfilled. You can go to specific passages in the Old Testament written over a thousand years before Jesus ever came and go to the New Testament and see exactly how He fulfilled them. How He did exactly what it was foretold He would do. But all in the under the banner of saving us. So it affirms verbal inspiration that this is not just a book. This is a divinely inspired book where God is laying out His plan over and over again and pointing us to Christ and then fulfilling this book in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the center. So that, that is what God, why God revealed Himself, why He revealed Himself to us so He could save us. So He could save us. And what is written is to do just that. So then we go up to the first reading, and the Word of God is that which will lead us through this world to everlasting life. His Word is also the guide to get us through this world to eternal life. So it saves us. It reveals God to us. It gets us through this world to everlasting life. With that promise from God, Give me one good reason we don't read the Bible like we should. We don't. You ever been so busy and suddenly you realize the week's over and you haven't opened it? It is God talking to us. It needs to be the most important thing in our lives. And I commend all of you for being here this morning and being in Bible class. Okay? Tell your friends to get to Bible class. That's under reproof and correction. Because that's how we grow. If we're only in contact with God's Word one hour a week, and Satan has the ability to test us in every other hour, we're not going to fare well.
We need to be in the Word of God each and every day. Each and every day. And the busier you are, the more you need the Word. I can assure you that if you got more you can do in a day, but you make yourself sit down and have your devotion time, you'll get everything done. And just look at it this way. If you don't, God didn't want you to do it. But you had your priorities straight. The Word of God first. And then everything else. Word of God first. So I've got my advertisement in. And uh, let's go to questions uh, about any of the lessons or anything we talked about. Yes, uh, the comment was that we have a, a, a variety in Scripture of the way it was written, uh, also because these letters, these books, were written to specific audiences. So you would write differently if you were writing to a Jewish audience than a Gentile audience. So for, for instance, take uh, the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is filled with quotes from the Old Testament and showing how Jesus fulfilled those passages. Who was Matthew writing to? Jews. On the other hand, Romans, written by Paul, the first eight chapters are very doctrinal and start with the very basics of sin all the way to salvation. Paul was writing to Gentiles. First Peter. You read 1 Peter, he makes numerous references to affliction, persecution, and suffering because that's what his audience was undergoing when he wrote the letter to them. But when it comes to style, the Holy Spirit incorporated that too. So it's not only who they're writing to, but the Holy Spirit letting their style come through. Right? Other things. Yeah, Don? Right. In the Luke lesson, 
It wasn't that they didn't believe what Isaiah said would happen. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the one that was going to do it. That he was not the me in that passage. Not the me. Scott. Fifty. Seven times seven, and then the next year. Okay? That's the way they, that's the way it was set up. And uh, it's a glorious description. Uh, it's in Leviticus, but as I say, they never, ever seemed to carry it out. Yes? Uh, yes, I mean, uh, we are not the kind of people that if we have huge financial gains, just because it's the 50th year, we're going to give it back. That's not our, not our style, okay? And it wasn't the people's style then either. It was not their style. All right. Yeah, way in the back. Oh, I, I don't think the fourth one does that. The, fourth, the third lesson is to show that Christ is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. But it's not necessary the sola, okay, emphasis. The second lesson certainly is, okay. Yes. Uh, her question was, back in the days when people were being told that if they bought indulgences, their sins would be forgiven and saved, how did Jesus forgive them? Well, he forgave them if their faith was in him. That's the only way we have the forgiveness of sins. No faith, no forgiveness. No forgiveness. Yes, sir. Right. Faith, yeah, the comment is works were encouraged, not faith. And therefore, that is why uh, Luther viewed it as so dangerous, because uh, then... So, Annette, I can't guarantee you they were forgiven. The people thought they were doing what they were supposed to. They had been misled. We'll let God sort that out. thought I saw one other hand. Yes.
Oh, yeah. Gosh, when I was in school, under the old historical critical method, we were told there were six Isaiahs, okay? And, and that is a, a function of studying the Bible as if it were just literature. We do not teach. Uh, Isaiah wrote Isaiah. John wrote John. Uh, we do not get into trying to analyze that. Uh, you can pick lots of things apart, but the fact is uh, there are enough self-identifications in the book of John that we believe John is the author. So, uh, and there's no evidence there were three of them. They're making it up. So, uh, we don't hold to uh, basically what's the historical critical method of studying the scriptures uh, as literature and not as word of God. All right, we are done for the week. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week uh, for a study of the uh, lessons for sola, solus Christus, Christ alone. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to hold dear your word as our treasure that makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This, this has been a Bible study from St. Paul Lutheran Church and De Pere on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Coming up, the live service from our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton. That's on the way on KFUO.